0: Good morning, my Oasis family, it's good to be with all of you, love you, thank you brothers and sisters, appreciate that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just grateful for the Oasis family that's gathered here this morning and we thank you for the time in worship and song and now Lord as we open up your living and errant word of God that you would speak through me that my words would be your words and my thoughts would be your thoughts and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you do your will in this group in their hearts by the spirit in Jesus name amen so I just want to remind you that kind of this visualization we've been talking about I know most of you remember but where have we been these last few? What was the visualization we had? We're, we're in the courtroom. Thanks, Nate. We've been in the courtroom. That's the kind of the picture I wanted to plant with all of you. We've been in the courtroom, and we've seen this incredible presentation of truths out of God's Word. I mean, week after week, through as we work through the book of Romans, we've seen that we are all guilty. No one is without excuse. I mean, over and over we heard that as we worked our way through the first few chapters of Romans. And, and then after we saw that, we saw that he came back and said, you know, you guys all think you're different based on physical attributes, the color of your skin, the money in your, in your pocket, the jobs you have. And, and the Scripture says, you are no different. You're all the same. And it was from a spiritual setting. you remember this? That we are all born spiritually dead in the family of lost sheep. And really, if you remember, this, this took us quite a few months to get there. But when we got to the point, it was kind of a feeling of, remember there was silence in the courtroom. Nobody could say anything at that point. Because everybody was guilty and we realized we were all the same. And then it is as if Jesus himself stood up in the court and said, but now, but now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed. Do you remember that? But now a righteousness apart from the law has been revealed through Jesus Christ. That salvation comes through grace alone, through faith alone. Wasn't that good news? It was really good news. And then I I, I just can't get over the logical uh, presentation of the word. And after this was presented, we we talked about, in this scripture here, I'm not going to review it all, I'm just going to summarize it, but we saw that then two key witnesses were called to the stand, Abraham and David. And and, and what he's proving here is, and what he's saying in the beginning of this verse, and I'm going to summarize, but he said, listen, if Abraham was saved by works, then we all must be saved by works. But if he was saved by faith, then we all must be saved by faith. And everybody in Israel would have said, Amen. And, he go, and then Paul says, it doesn't matter what you say, rabbis and religious leaders, and it doesn't matter what I say. It only matters what the Word of God says. And then he quotes, he quotes Genesis 15.6. He quotes the Word of God to prove his case. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he... Paul proved to him out of the Word of God that you were saved by faith alone and grace alone. And it goes all the way back to Abraham. And then he called David to the stand, the same thing, and he quotes Psalm 32 here, and he shows that David, when he was confronted by Nathan and realized that he was guilty of adultery and murder, the only place David could go for forgiveness wasn't through good works, it wasn't through the law, it was through God himself he had to be forgiven and covered for the sins he had committed. And then last week, we got into this text, and I'm telling you, if you follow this, it is so logical how it's all being presented. It's so clear and, and, and easily understood. Is he addressed the two big pillars within the Jewish faith, which was circumcision and the law. So I, I've, I've talked to you that you've been saved by faith alone. He goes, now let's talk about these two elephants in the room, which are circumcision and the law. Now remember, we talked about that this had spread to the church, Right? We had all these new believers. By the way, everybody was a new believer then. Well, it's been a pretty cool time. There was no one that was born in the faith yet. They were all new believers, and so. But the Judaizers were going around to all these church plants of Paul and saying, "Listen, hey, I heard you accepted Jesus as your savior. Amen. Congratulations. But you're not saved yet. You need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law of Moses. And this was creating a great disturbance, as you can imagine. Even ourselves, if you've been born again and the Holy Spirit's living within you, and someone else comes up and say, "Well, you're not saved yet." And so it was creating a great disruption in the church, so he had to address those issues, and he does it logically right after he calls Abraham and David. And look at this, he says, I'm just going to summarize here, but he basically says, I've already proven to you through the Word of God that, you're, that Abraham was saved by faith. Now let me ask you this question. Was he saved by faith before or after he was circumcised? Right? And he goes, he, he proved through the Scripture that he wasn't, He was circumcised over 14 years after he was saved. And could you imagine the silence within the Jewish community at that? Because up to this point, they believed that circumcision was how you were saved. They said, let's go back to the father of our nation. He was circumcised 14 years after he was saved. And he goes, how about the law? Look what he says here about the law. And, And I'll summarize this to you. He says, if we are saved by the law, if that is the promise of God, then the promise is worthless. Because the law only reveals God's wrath. And so, if that was God's promise to us, we've been sold a bill of goods. Because none of us are able to keep the law. He said, but that wasn't the promise of God. And he closes this part by the grace of God. He says, the circumcised and the uncircumcised are saved the same way. Those who have the law and those who don't have the law are saved the same way, through faith alone, by grace alone. Amen? Amen. That's where we left off. If you'd open up your Bibles, we're going to, Lord willing, finish chapter 4 today. We'll pick up right where we left off on verse 18. Romans 4, verse 18. And our brother Ed is going to open the word for us. And If you'd all please stand as we read God's word. reading from Romans 4, 1825. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your off- offsprings be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered, him, considered the barrenness of Sarah's huh. womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the word, it was counted to him. It was not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believed in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. May you get a blessing from the reading. Of the Amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate that. So, if you, brothers and sisters, if you, if you think about it, sitting in the courtroom here of God, after He clearly presented that we're saved by faith alone, He clearly pr- presented that circumcised, circumcision didn't save anybody. The law didn't save anybody. I mean, what would be the next logical question? What does this faith look like? Where do I get this faith? Right? That would be the next logical question and that's exactly what the Scripture answers. Let's, uh, let's look at this verse by verse. Uh, we'll start with verse 18. It says, In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, there's different words for hope in the, in the Greek. And this, there's the hope, like we think of the world's hope, which is like, oh, I really hope this happens. But there's also a different hope in the Greek language, which means it's faith, it's belief, it's something assured to you. And really what it's saying is here is he had faith, he had complete confidence against all possible difficulties, about all possible rejections or objections from the world. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the kind of hope he had. Now, we see part of the promise here. It says, so shall your offspring be. Let me show you the whole promise that was made to God. made to Abraham by God. It comes from Genesis 15 and 6. It said, he, God, took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall all your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. So so this is the promise that Abraham, as it says here in this first verse 18, this is the promise that he had hope in. This This is the promise he had confidence in, he believed in. But it says that he believed this even though it seemed absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible for this to happen. Are you with me on this? And why did it seem absolutely impossible? Let's look at the reasons. It's right here in the text. Look at the next verse, 19. One of the reasons it seemed absolutely impossible, as it says in 19, he says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. So the first reason it seemed absolutely impossible to Abraham is because he was 100 years old. And his body was basically, as it says here in the script, basically dead. Right? Look at the second reason. They go together here. The second reason is the next verse. It says that, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. His faith did not weaken when he he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he's 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Brother, just picture this. God comes into Abraham's tent. He says, Come on, we're going to go outside for a minute. Abraham had to get his cane or his walker, maybe his oxygen tank. Right? This guy was almost dead. It says that in the scripture. So here he and he's probably got that, you know, the the shape my body's starting to naturally form into. And he probably, you know, he limped outside. And then, you know, when you're at this age, it's kind of hard to look up. He goes, look up in the sky. Count the stars. Can you picture that? And your, your, your offspring are going to be as, as num- numerous as these stars. And I, come on, in our flesh, what will we say? Say, God, I'm surprised I woke up this morning. And, and you know my wife Sarah? Even in the prime of her life, she was barren. She's 90 years old now. God, you you got to... You must have a different plan. You must have mistaken me for someone else. There's no way my offspring can be as plentiful as the stars that I can't even count in the sky. Wouldn't that be the natural response? I I confess to you, I've doubted God for a lot lesser things than that and questioned Him. But it doesn't say that. that. It said that He did not weaken in faith regardless of these circumstances. Let's talk about this for a couple minutes. Uh, You know, circumstances in our life, they come into our life like a raging storm. They can come into our life through a phone call. They come into our life through an email. Right? I mean... There's been times in all of our lives, I'm sure, where all of a sudden we're right in the middle of a storm. Has that happened to any of you? Right? And and I've been there, and and, and really to me, it's like a deep fog. These circumstances come into our life and and they overwhelm us. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, And really. You can't see anything and, 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 you're, and you're, you don't sleep and your mind's always preoccupied with this circumstance you're in, you're thinking about it. It's draining you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's just taking everything out of you when you're in those circumstances. Amen? And And, and the problem is when, when we're in those circumstances, quite often we lose sight of God. We lose sight of God. We're busy trying to figure this thing out. We're busy trying to work our way out of these circumstances. We're busy trying to figure this thing out. And we lose sight of God. But you see, Abraham didn't. He didn't lose sight of God. The circumstances he was in, the things that God was telling him, seemed absolutely impossible. But see, Abraham stepped out of his circumstances so that he could clearly see God. He could see God. Now know this. He had been walking with God for 25 years at this point. He knew who God was. He knew the person of God and the power of God. He'd seen the plagues in Egypt against Pharaoh when Pharaoh had taken his bride, Sarah, to be his wife. He knew God. He'd been intimately related to God in fellowship for 25 years. It said he was a friend of God. So when God said this to him, Abraham just said, Amen. He, He didn't even question whether this would be so or not. He didn't, it says he didn't even weaken in his faith when he heard this incredible promise. Now, I'll tell you this testimony in my own life is. this is over 20 years ago, and uh, my company was under an IRS audit. Perfect time. I figure it's tax season. We should talk about this, this testimony. But our company was under a tax audit by an IRS agent, something I never even imagined would happen to me. Now, at this point, I was already a believer. I had surrendered the company, my company to the Lord. And, and even before that, I mean, I was doing everything that I could legally. I was never tempted to do illegal things in the company. But even now, more so, I was determined to bring glory and honor to God. And I, I believed the company was tight and right with God. So this agent came in and, uh, you know, we'd ask for some paperwork. We'd give it to him. We'd come back. Well, there's nothing there. I want these papers. I want these papers. I want these files. It got so bad, we had a little office at that time where we were all crammed in there and he was like in a little cubicle, you know. But he kept interrupting our work, so finally we asked if he could move to our, accounting, uh, our accountant's office and he set up a little desk in the accountant's office and worked there. And this went on for months and months and went on for well over a year. And, you know, this whole time I'm like, I'm thinking, I mean, I'll tell you some of confess some of my thoughts. First, I'm thinking, why is he picking on me? I mean, I, I know some unsafe business guys that are absolutely criminal in the way they deal with their finances and their business. And then I, I got over that pity party and then I went to this point of saying, well, maybe, maybe there's some unconfessed sin in my life. You know? It's that last song. But... But I, so I started asking, God, God, if there's unconfessed sin in my life, is that, if this is why this is happening, if you're, if you're doing this to get my attention, you've got my attention, what is going on that's wrong in my life? And that passed. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel with this IRS agent. Maybe that's why you sent him, is he needs to hear the gospel. This might be a divine appointment that I would never have foreseen. So I called my accountant, who was not a believer, and said, I'm coming over to share the gospel with this guy. And he's not a believer. He goes, you're crazy. I said, yeah, I know I am, and I'll see you in 30 minutes. Right, So I got over there, and I went to this guy's office, and I poured my heart out. I shared the gospel I shared my testimony. I shared the gospel with this IRS agent. He didn't get saved. But you know, he did say, you know, I can tell that you're, I think he used the word, I think you're a, you're a moral man, is what he said. I can tell you're a moral man by going through your books. So I want to thank you for that. Get out of here, would you? No. <laughs> but he didn't leave then either. But I can remember this like it was Yesterday. See, what I'm trying to show you is I was in a cloud of circumstances. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't focus. I was paralyzed for over a year in this whole situation, trying to figure out what God was trying to teach me. And then one day Mary could tell this story. She tells it a little differently than I do. I didn't remember this, but I can remember we were sitting on our couch together in our family room. The twins were toddlers, and Michelle was a toddler. So we had our couch pushed up against our windows because in our windows we had those little wood grates and the kids would come and break them out of there, the, the dividers. So we had our, our, our couches pushed up the windows, and we had curtains, but our curtains were wrapped around the curtain rod because the kids were pulling those down. It looked like a war zone in our house. So we sat in this little couch by the windows, and we began to pray about this whole circumstance we're in. And as we are praying and talking about it, we finally just said, You know what, God? Take me. No. Well, we finally said, You know what, God? I don't understand this. This is still a fresh wound. <laughs> I don't understand this. But God, if this is your will, we'll endure forever. Thanks. <clears throat> What's bringing me tears is just how good our God is. Because see, as we prayed, that we said, God, we don't know why this is happening, but we know you're sovereign, and we will endure this for as long as you desire us to endure this trial. And at that moment, hear this, at the moment, this is going to sound charismatic to some of you, I'm telling you, a physical peace came over Mary and I, as we said. It's like, it's like God reached inside of us into our soul minds and our hearts and just ripped all that anxiety out of us, that lack of peace. We had a peace that transcended understanding. We were sitting there together and I said, did you? I was afraid to admit it. I said, did you just something? She goes, Yeah. It was like a warm breeze that just came over us, and we had peace from that moment forward in this trial. Because, see, God pulled us out of the circumstance. It took us a, over a year to get out of it, so we stepped back and we saw it, and we said, whatever it is, God's will, we're, we're, we're in. And, see, that, that's, what, that's what we have to do when we get in these circumstances is you can't let your circumstances distract you from who God is. You know, and I'd say also that, you know, in these trials, these times of trials, is suffering is one of God's greatest teachers. It teaches us in ways no other thing can. And, and, you know, I I learned a great lesson in in that year-and-a-half struggle lesson that I praise God for. I praise Him for all the pain and suffering of all that because I learned a lesson about who He is and what I'm called to be. So I encourage you in that. If you enter your circumstances in the flesh and they overwhelm you, you'll get distracted from the Savior and it'll be difficult to overcome them. Okay, let's move on. So we see first that, you know, he believed the impossible. First of all, he was not distracted by the circumstances in his life, did not weaken his faith. Look at this next one. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. How's Charlie's ear doing, by the way? Okay, praise God. So, no unbelief made him waver. You know, you know what that's like, right? That wavering of faith and doubt. The back and forth. And it's sad, I see so many brothers even from Wayside, they come and one day they're full of faith and the next day they're full of doubt. God's on His throne, the next day He's not. You know, it's, just, it's wavering back and forth in, in, in their walk with God. But you see, Abraham didn't waver. He was steadfast in his faith. He believed God, even though this promise seemed impossible, he was unmovable and unshakable. Now, I will say this, if you go back, and I studied the Genesis account of this whole thing, and, and it would seem like Abraham had doubt because he was asking God some pretty difficult questions. But the reality is, if you look at those questions carefully, this is what you'll find out in Genesis, he, was, he didn't doubt God's promise, but he was trying to understand how God was going to get it done. Look at it carefully. He wasn't doubting. He just was, wanted additional information. Now, just like temptation, is temptation sin? No, Jesus was tempted. It's not sin. To, to have questions about how God's accomplishing these miracles in your life is not a sin. It's okay to ask God those kind of questions, and that's what Abraham was doing. But he didn't waver. He didn't, he didn't move from, from what, uh, what God had told him would happen in his life. Now, brother and sister, I've got to ask you this application question. I mean, has God ever called you to do something impossible? It, it seemed impossible to you at least at that time. Maybe it was walking away from a sinful pattern in your life. Maybe it was He was calling you to a work that just seemed impossible. But you were in that place where the only way you could go forward is in faith. Just let me tell you, I hope that's happened to you because that's how our God works. He's constantly calling us to the impossible. That's how He stretches us. That's how He builds our faith. You know, I could tell you my own testimony again. I've already shared enough, but I mean, I can just tell you in every season of my life, when God called me to something, I can honestly tell you as these seasons came, I said, No way. I can't do this. And that started with me teaching in the toddler room. You'd think that would be an easy thing, right? But all the way through what God's led me, every time I said, I can't do it, I don't have the gifts, I don't have the skills, I don't have the abilities. I'll tell you one of the very scariest ones besides being a pastor is he called me to start a men's ministry at the church I was at, and a lot of the men in my men's ministry were professors at Wheaton College. These were professors, you mean talking about, intimidating? Because they didn't have a men's ministry. I started all these professors from Wheaton showed up. I don't think I've even, I had even read the whole Bible yet. Right? But you know what? The only thing that would stop me would be pride. Because if it's his calling, he's going to equip. Amen? If he calls, he'll equip. Now let me tell you this, the reality is how much we live by faith depends on how big our God is. If you serve a little God, then you have a little faith and you have a little life. A little God equals little faith equals little life. You know, I I hear people, well, you know, God's busy, you know, he's uninvolved. He's not not that interested in my desires or my plans. You know what? I don't have the gift set or the tool set that God would ever call me or use me. That's a little God. If you look who God used in the Bible, it's always the least likely. Gideon down on the threshing floor, hiding from God and people. You're a mighty warrior. Me? I'm hiding out. Moses. David. David. Right? Over and over, he calls the least likely. But the reality is, is that if you serve a little God, you're not even listening for the call. But see, the, the real God is almighty. He knows everything because he created everything. He knows how you've been designed because he designed you. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan that he wants to use him mightily in this fallen and dark world. But you have to walk by faith. You have to get over yourself, get over your pride, and answer the call. That's exactly what we see in Abraham's life. So he didn't, he didn't look at his circumstances, or he wasn't weakened, I should say, in faith by his circumstances. The second thing is that uh, he did not waver and his faith concerning the promises of God. And look at this next one here. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. I love this truth. Do you see this? He's praising God for a promise that has not even been fulfilled yet, as though it was. Isn't that awesome? He's thanking God for a promise. By the way, from the first time he made this promise to Abraham to the time he fulfilled it was 40 years. And in between there, Abraham had all kinds of trials and tribulations. But he was faithful to God and believed he'd meet that promise. But here he is praising God for this promise that hadn't been fulfilled yet. You all doing okay? Another application point. Do you praise God for the promises He has made to you that have not been fulfilled in your faith? Praise God for the promises He has not yet fulfilled, and you will grow in your faith. What does God promise you that has not been fulfilled yet? How about heaven? I assume since you're here, you haven't been there yet. But he's promised for all those who believe to spend eternity in heaven. To, to be How about this? I'm looking forward to this one the older I get. A glorified body. I'm praising God for my glorified body right now. I'm praising God that I get to live in heaven where there is no more sin. I get to live in the presence of our Lord. You praise God for those things. That Jesus Christ is going to return and make everything right. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Do you praise God for those Those things are real? Just like they were for Abraham, they were real to him because when God says it, it will be. And I've got lists and lists of promises I wrote down here. I went through Scripture and searched all kinds of future promises. I recommend you do that yourself. And praise God for him because what he says is true. Okay. Another one. There's so many good truths in there. Each one of these could be a sermon, but uh, we'll at least fly by them. Look at this next one. Fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. Fully convinced. Let me ask you this. What are you fully convinced of? What do they say there's only two things we can count on in life? What's that cliche? Death and taxes. If that's all you're fully convinced of, I've, I'll be praying for you. There's a lot more things to be fully convinced of than death and taxes. And I could go on a whole bunch of physical things, but let me just hit this. The, only, the things that truly matter is what you're convinced about, fully convinced about when it comes to God. Because here's the, here's the answer, brothers and sisters. If you have a little God, if you want to get a bigger God, you need to get in the Word and be fully convinced of who God is. You need to be fully convinced of who God is and and how He sees you. And you do that by coming to the Word of God. So if you only have a few fully convinced on your list about God, you need to get in the Word and be fully convinced on who God is. Like Abraham was after 25 years of intimate relationship, he was fully convinced of who God was in His person and His power. And he could totally trust God no matter what God said. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. You know, I say it so often from the pulpit here. But this comes only one way, and that's through the Word of God. I'm sorry, that's what you have to do. You have to discipline yourselves to be in the Word if you want to be fully convinced of who God is. I can feed you and encourage you once a week, but that's not enough. If you ate once a week, how would that work out for you? You'd starve to death. But you know what? If you're spending 15 minutes in the Word a day or no time in the Word today, you're not going to be fully convinced of much. Sorry. It doesn't work that way. You need to be soaking in the Word of God. You need to be meditating on the Word of God. You need to be praying and praising God for the promises He made. You need to take this very seriously if you want to be fully convinced on who God is and His plan for your life. Next verse here, verse 22. Look at this. It says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Do you see that? Because Abraham was not weakened in faith by the circumstances in life, I pray that we could be there, that as circumstances come in our life, as I gave you my testimony, we will not be weakened in faith, but we'll just embrace them because we know God wants to grow us through circumstances and he wants to be glorified through circumstances. And, and then look at this, so he wasn't weakened by circumstances, he didn't waver. Don't you want to be that kind of follower? That no matter what comes in your life, you're not blown around like a, a, like a reed, you just stand firm and know that whatever God said is true. And as, then the third thing is he praised God for things that hadn't happened yet, he believed God's promises, and the last thing is he was fully convinced that God would do what he promised. And because of all those things, he was countered him his righteousness. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of guy I want to be. And then we'll close with this part here. This is the good news for us. Because really the question is, where do we get this faith? Maybe someone's sitting here today and they're not a believer. They don't have this faith. But look what it says here. This shows the Word. It says, but the Word's... It was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Do you get that? This was written for you over 2,000 years ago. Do you see the living word of God? It wasn't just written for him, it wasn't written for Abraham, but it was written for you. It will be counted to, to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. You know what that is, right? That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. That if you believe that Jesus came and lived the perfect life, died the perfect death to pay for the sins of the world, was buried, and the third day He rose again, and then He ascended to be with the Father. If you believe that, as Romans 10 10 and 9 and 10 says, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. That's good news. That's for us. So you do you, do you want to see how you get the faith? To get the faith, the faith for salvation is given to us by God. It's all God. So if you think you can earn the faith or get the faith, it doesn't work that way. But the reality is once you get the faith, you're responsible for what you do with that faith, that saving faith. And we're seeing in Abraham's life a great illustration of a man that lived it right. Now, did Abraham, look at his whole history, did he fail? We looked at that already, right? Abraham failed. But by the end of his life, when God says, sacrifice your only son, got it, God, let me get the wood, I'm on my way to the mountaintop, that's the kind of faith he had. Even with that kind of call from God, he was unshakable. That's where he wants us to be, brothers and sisters. He wants us to live that kind of a life. But I want you to see that first you have to have a saving faith. You have to realize your sinfulness and you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Let me close with this, brothers and sisters. Uh, Satan, Satan does not want you to live by faith. He wants to make very clear to you all the limitations of this physical world. He wants to remind you that you're too whatever to serve God. He doesn't want you engaged in the supernatural. He wants to limit you. Basically, Satan wants you to have a small faith, a small God, and a small life. But see, God is just the opposite. God is standing here saying, I want you to embrace the supernatural power of God, the supernatural power of Jesus, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, of the Word of God. He wants you to embrace that. You're not called to live within the physical restraints of this world. You're to be living a supernatural life in this natural world. That's what it means to be an ambassador. You're supposed to be down here bringing the supernatural to a dark, lost world. Does that make sense? You know, every day when I go to work, I love what I do. And in a physical sense, I love, you know, not everything about my job, but I love a lot of what I do in my job, and I look forward to it. But, you know, every day before I leave the house, what I'm most excited about is my supernatural day. Where's God going to use me today? What divine appointments am I going to get? I'm always most excited, prayed up, read up, studied up, for the supernatural part of my day. Is that true for you? Every day are you looking forward to how God might use you this day. He wants to use each one of us every single day. If we're already available, He will use us. You know, it's this, I'll just tell you, this last testament will close, but this last Friday, you know, same kind of process, and I got to work, and there's one employee a little bit difficult, will remain nameless, but, you know, I'm praying for a divine appointment this difficult employee comes into my office and I'm like, oh, boy, how can I get him out of here in a hurry? I got a lot to do, right? And I kept praying in my head and I realized that that was my divine appointment that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're just grateful for, for your word. This uh, great example for us to, to read and study and believe and follow, this, this great man of God, Abraham. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that uh, we will look at circumstances differently, that we won't let them take over our life. We won't live in the fog of circumstances. I also pray, Lord, that we would have a faith that doesn't waver, that we're steadfast in what we know about you, God, in your person and your power. Also pray, God, that we'd be the kind of people that would praise you and glorify you for promises that haven't even been fulfilled. And I pray for these dear brothers and sisters and myself that we would be more and more fully convinced about who you are through your word. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.